All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Mint Collective podcast. Our guest today is none other than Eric Myers. Eric is a collector, lifelong collector. He is also part of the PWCC team as a sales account executive. Eric, welcome to the Mint Collective podcast. How are you today? Doing awesome. Absolutely love it. Every time I come on your podcast, and get to speak with you about cards. Uh, it's very, it's a great blessing. It really is. Uh, it, it's always, hey, Eric, I mean, you're someone who who I, I rely on in the hobby to bring me a fair assessment of where things are at. You've got a ton of experience. I mean, I think you and I are, are a few of the people who've been in this thing our whole lives, like, you know, 40 years, that sort of thing. So uh, it's always great to uh, bump heads with you and just talk about where the hobby's at, what's important in the hobby, those sorts of things. What One of the things that's important in the hobby is now on the annual landscape is the Mint Collective. You know, with the inaugural year last year, we've got this year coming up at the end of March, beginning of April. Before we talk about the Mint Collective, though, I want the audience to hear a little bit about your personal story and how you came up in the hobby. It's been called a rags to riches story. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you how did you come up through the hobby, Eric? I mean, well, as a kid, right, about the age of eight or nine, you start collecting, as, as most of us did. And you kind of set it to the side a few years, probably when you're 14. Uh, and, and as life went on, I kind of got out of it. Uh, and I did not come from money. And I went through a lot of uh, personal adversities, right, that set me back some years. And uh, in the gist of it, I got myself in a situation, in a few situations that probably weren't the best for me. And I didn't really have anything in my mid to late 20s. I, I ended up, uh, I, was, I was homeless for a while. And about the age of 26, 27 years old, I joined the military. That was the only thing I could see that would really help me uh, become uh, a true positive benefit in my life. And that would instill dedication, personal refinement, help me work on the overall presentation of myself to the world around me. And I did, I did about four years in the, in the Army, the infantry. I got out of that and I had a, a military bonus with about $15,000. And I really didn't know anything else other than cards and how to do manual labor as an electrician. That was really all I knew was manual labor and cards. And I tell people I was just dumb enough to sit down and spend all that money on eBay learning this, this industry. You know, then it was a hobby. Now it's an industry and it, it worked out really well for me, but I learned how to become a self-believing entrepreneur. And usually when I meet people, that's the message I try to convey to them. So many people are are focused on the monetary value and the, the ROI potential or the losses they've, they might have endured. But I, I think the most important thing I could instill upon somebody is the pursuit of knowledge and self-betterment. Because with that, everything else will come. The more time and effort you put into something, traditionally, the more you get out of it. And, and I think that's the, best, the probably the most important lesson I can instill in somebody is learning how to learn and learning how to become a self-motivated and um, entrepreneur in any space, this space or any space, you know, dedicate yourself to yourself and the rest usually follows. Truly an inspirational story that you have, you know, kind of uh, persevering and getting through that, that adversity. You mentioned that you got that military bonus, $15,000. Just to understand the timeline, what year would that have been about? 16, 17 years ago. So, I mean, you're looking like oh five, oh six, something that effect, uh, relatively speaking, you know, so, and, and there was things that came about that, that were out of my control. So you had the, the collapse in 08, 
right? So I had a couple of years to learn then everything started pulling back, whether it be the stock market or cards or any alternative asset started pulling back. So that did help. Uh, but because of the fact I, I came from nothing, when the market collapsed, whether it be, you know, cards or the stock market collapsed, I, I knew what it was like to have nothing. So I, I didn't have this, this knee-jerk fear reaction where people were afraid of losing everything. I looked at it as an opportunity to grow because everything came down about 70, 80%. So for me, then I could just spend every dollar I had and buy this stuff in, buy back or buy into whatever it is I believed into. And if it went to zero, well, I've been at zero before, so that was nothing new. So really, I looked at it as there's only one way to go, and, and that was to go up. And so and that stuck with me, that that potential for achievement and to to jump when most people are running away, to jump forward really stuck with me. And I learned a lot in that. And again, when it happened in 2020, when we went through the pandemic, when the stock market collapsed, Bitcoin went from 13.8 to a little under 4K. I, I literally just spent money. I, I started buying anything and everything I believed in because I had been down that road before. And again, I, I had been without, I, I had been without everything before. So that wouldn't be anything new to me either. So I looked at that as an opportunity to keep doing the yeah, what I do best, you know, not not having to fear losing everything is something that I think uh, must. What a mindset that is! I can't imagine having that mindset for myself. I guess I've never had nothing, so I do fear losing everything, or that that would be a legitimate fear for me. So I don't understand, or yeah, I just I guess I could say I don't understand that mindset. Not that I don't understand how you could have it. I just don't have it myself. So I I haven't walked in your shoes, so I don't. I can't really pretend to say, oh, I, I get that because I don't. But it's certainly an interesting mindset to be able to have. Um, so, you know, great persevering, all that. Also, you know, 2005, 2006, that must have been a great time to be buying LeBron James cards and Kobe Bryant cards. And I mean, especially when you compare it to to today, how, you know, the the best players in all of the sports and their best cards have really shot up in values, you know, from the middle 2000s through till now, astronomical amounts. You could have spent $5,000 on a LeBron James card in 2005 and sell it last month for $800,000. What do you, what do you, when you think about that opportunity and Hey, a lot of people, well, maybe up to 99 people would have had the opportunity <laughs> to do that. I'm talking about the, the LeBron James exquisite rookie patch auto. But when you think about that, what do you what what does that make you think? And do you feel that there's any opportunities like that as we move forward in within the hobby? Yeah. So, I, in retrospect, my first few years, I was really picking the vintage in my first probably half decade. Older football, true vintage baseball. So, when I first got into it, I was very hesitant to spend most of my money on one LeBron James RPA. It always seemed like that card was right out of my reach. So there was other cards I would buy for five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, maybe a couple grand that. I was more emotionally attached to, whether it be Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Ted Williams, Babe Ruth, stuff, stuff to that effect. Uh, and I, I don't think I ever thought that there was going to be that type of exponential growth on the cards, whether we were two years ago or today. So I didn't really have, go into it with that mindset. I was just trying to find something that I enjoyed, maybe make you know a couple extra bucks to help me with a car payment or insurance payment at the time. So I, did, I didn't truly think it would manifest to the position it is now. But that combined with the fact how things have just went up over time and we've gone into the game used uh, patches and on-card autos, I can see now the, the beauty 
and in conjunction with the, the limited production of cards to a certain degree, how that can, again, manifest itself into a true asset class. Now, moving forward, the only person I see on the spectrum for basketball, of course, we've got a few people in football that are that have recently come out in the past few years and potentially in the next couple of years. But you have Victor Wimbanyama. Um, we're still waiting to see where he's going to go. Maybe Scoot Anderson. So I do like how things come to fruition as all-time greats. Uh, you can, you can, LeBron James is definitely an all-time great. As these players exit out, you see potential for these new uh, generational talents to come in. As, as it kind of happened with LeBron, LeBron was coming in as Jordan was going out, right? So it's one exits, one comes in. And it's kind of beautiful that, you know, we're going to have the transition from Panini to Fanatics in a couple of years. So I think that there usually is going to be that opportunity for growth of new, uh, these, these generational talents to come in as that transition happens. You know, life always seems to, to show its beauty in those times. So, yeah. So check out this next segue I'm about to introduce. Speaking about generational talents and a new great one coming in, we, we've, we ha- we've had a new generational talented sports card memorabilia event enter the landscape of the hobby the mint collective that's what we're here to talk about see that segue i yeah. wanted to ask you what why does the mint collective stand stand out to you or how does it stand out to you as being an important stop for hobbyists for people who work in the industry collectors investors how does it stand out why does it stand out to you as being an important event on the annual hobby calendar it's not just a card show, it's a trade show. It literally transitions this quote-unquote hobby into uh, an, a potential asset class in a, a true industry that is recognized. One, uh, being in Las Vegas, the magnitude of it, the amount of speakers we have. You'll have Omaha Productions and Peyton Manning there speaking, as well as a multitude of other speakers. It, it really puts it on the map at a level that, I, I didn't see five years ago. I wouldn't have, I, I couldn't have imagined this. I was at the Mint Collective last year as its inaugural, um, inaugural show. And I was just in awe uh, of just the, the speakers, the information that was being conveyed just all day long. It was just beautiful. You get to meet people who are collectors that you see maybe on podcasts or businesses that you may work with. You get to actually meet them talk to them, get to know these people. It, it was something that that this needs, that, that this space truly needed. And I didn't really know we needed it until I attended it. And then once it happened, I thought to myself, like, oh, this has got to happen every year. For me, me personally, I'm going to go to it as much as I can. I mean, there's just so much potential opportunity for growth, whether it be if you own a business or you're an entrepreneur, you do content, or you're just a collector. I think there's a room for a lot of growth for anybody that steps foot in there. What sort of a sign do you think it sends to the sports collectible industry and even the greater sports industry in terms of sports as entertainment and, and as culture that Peyton Manning is a partner or his company, Omaha Productions, is a partner in the Mint Collective? Names in sports don't <laughs> get much bigger than Peyton Manning. I mean, he's up there with the LeBron James, the Sidney Crosby's, the Mike Trout's, the, I mean, the only bigger names I can think of are Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan, and uh, Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali. Like there aren't a lot of names that are bigger 
in sports in the last 20 years than Peyton Manning. So how important do you think it is? And um, just how awesome is it that Peyton Manning is a part of this and, and is in the hobby? No, there really aren't words to describe it. The fact that Peyton Manning and Omaha Productions are here. And it, it just shows any other space, whether you're in comics or coins or whatever you might be into, that this space is here and it's not going anywhere. You know, cars have been around 100 plus years. But when you have Peyton Manning and Omaha Productions coming and speaking for the second year, right? This isn't just his first year. He's coming back, yeah. right? This is something that's going to be here and it's going to grow. Like it's on the map from my perspective. And that that's why I'm going to the, to it. Right. And, and, and I work for PWCC. And last year, I went as an employee this year, even though I still work for PWCC, I'm going just as a hobbyist and a collector. I, I want to hear what these people have to say. Like, I want to go for the information. Right. I want to go to see what their, you know, not their 12 month plan, the three, five, 10 year plan for this space. Like the, the true overall perspective of what they're wanting to bring, not just Omaha Productions, but a lot of these speakers, because they're not going to just they're not just coming here. Peyton Manning's not the type of person that's just coming for a paycheck. If he's here and Omaha Productions is here, he believes in this space. Like he wants to see this space successful. And for me, as a collector and as an employee in this space, that means a lot. Like a lot. Yeah, it, it is it is pretty, pretty awesome that uh that he's invested in in the space. I'm looking forward to it. You mentioned, you know, you're coming to this to the Mint Collective almost, you know, as much as an individual, a collector, a hobbyist, as you are as being a part of one of the companies that will be set up there, being PWCC, the auction platform. Um, what are you know besides hearing? I want to I want to dig a bit deeper. Besides hearing from the the workshops and the the the, the informative sessions. What else are you looking forward to at Mint Collective this year? You know, getting to meet the people and getting to know the people better, getting to understand their perspective and each individual's company's long-term goal and where they see their own companies growing. Maybe, and I think sometimes it's important to hear about, hey, this is what we've done in the past. Maybe this didn't work out, but this is how we're looking to correct it and, and alter pivot our trajectory. To, to grow along this space, right? They, they don't see the space being in five years where it is today. They see it being bigger. I want to hear about their envisionment plan. Uh, I think this is probably, because you can go to card shows, right? And, and you meet people and you get to see all the cards on the table, get to meet the dealers and stuff. But I want to hear about this not just being like people walking blindly through the dark, hoping the space gets bigger. I want to hear the plans. That That's really what, what gets me. And that's, that's why I, I come to these places, you know, cause it's, I've been doing this at a, at a decently high level for over a decade and a half. I don't plan on leaving anytime soon. So I want to hear what their, uh, their goal is to help this be permanent and on, on commercials during games. I want to see players open in packs. I want to hear them talk about it. Hey, you know, we've got these licenses, you know, the players associations with this, this is what kind of goals we want we want to do. This potential commercials that we want to see in the next three to five years. That type of stuff. I, w- I want the card space to be something that every kid across the world finds a part of, of their life growing up. You know, just as common as toys. I mean, that's just some, some, something that most people just you play with as a kid growing up. All kids, doesn't matter, boys, girls, whatever. They're all playing with them growing up. I want cards to be part of that too. 
like they were back in the 80s. That's what that's, that's, you know, I certainly, uh, certainly remember that from back in the day. Um, There's, you know, there's a, there's gonna be a lot of information, a lot of hearing about the evolution of various initiatives and, uh, you know, professional areas that you can be in within the hobby, within the sports card collecting hobby. One of them is card shops, as, as we call them in shorthand, LCSs, local card shops. There's been more and more of them opening. A lot of, even some high-profile collectors and people with very popular Instagram accounts have been opening up card shops across the U.S. This year in 2023, we're only five weeks in, but as well as the last couple of years. There's a there's going to be an event, or a, I should say a workshop, at the Mint Collective this year. It's called Bullpen and Friends. Bullpen LA is a card shop run by uh, Mitch and Ty. And uh, they're going to be hosting a workshop again called Bullpen and, Bullpen and Friends. It's going to be about the newest community experiences, the newest hobby community experiences. I think it's going to be about how to provide an experience for customers who come into your card shop. Now, I'm certainly excited to sit in on this and learn, but I want to tie this into something. You, you told me earlier that you are going to be traveling, and this is before you go to Vegas for the Mint Collective, you will be traveling to the Philippines to visit a new card store out there that is going to be called Hobby Stadium. Now, uh, the reason why I'm bringing this up on a podcast that's about the Mint Collective is because this story or this experience you're about to have and telling us about what you're expecting to see when you get there, I think it's a, it's a sign and it's indicative of how the sports card memorabilia hobby is maturing and evolving, but not only in the United States and Canada, but internationally. So with that said, what are you going to see when you get to the Philippines in March? Well, Hobby Stadium is what I envision is the next level of card shops. Uh, it is not only just a, a very, very high level, high end card shop. It also has a restaurant inside of it, it has a bar inside. It's on a level that I didn't think we'd be at for another five or 10 years. They also have a vault inside. So people who want to store their cards there, uh, maybe they have, um, you know, uh, six, seven figure assets that they need stored safely. So they have a walk-in vault there for the, the local uh, customers in the Philippines. Uh, and, and if they want to eat dinner, you know, with them, their friends or family, have a couple drinks, all that can be done there. So they don't have to travel there with their cards, right? They can just keep them there. Um, and for those of you that have Instagram, check it out. It's Hobby Stadium. It's on an absolute next level. And, and this is, it is a, a culmination of some of the the biggest collectors in the entire country in the Philippines have uh, pulled their capital together and formulated this card shop that from, I think once people get to see it over the next, you know, 12 months or whatever, you'll start seeing more uh, card shops that resemble this uh, pop up as time moves on. I, I don't think there is, I don't, I don't see that being any other way other than that come to fruition. Yeah, you know, at the the Bullpen and Friends event, I saw the list of some of the other card shop owners that are going to be taking place. Uh they're going to be taking part in the in the workshop and some of them stood out to me as being very innovative in their and I've never been to their card shops, but I've seen pictures, I've heard, I've met the met them at the Mint Collective last year. Tell they told me about what their store was like and it was very impressive. You know, it almost sounds like what what Hobby Stadium is building in the Philippines is it just sounds like that 
full experience that would blow your mind. You would not expect that to walk into a card shop and see what you're going to see at Hobby Stadium in Philippines. I wonder if, and do you think, if in the United States and or Canada, Mexico, we're ever going to see, or when will we see a similar establishment where you can go in, have dinner, maybe have a few drinks, if that's your thing, uh, store your cards. I didn't even think that an LCS would become a vault where its customers could store their cards. That's something I got to get my head around still. But do you think we're any, do you think there's any, any plans like that currently going on behind the scenes in the, in North America? Nothing like this, nothing to this level. Uh, I mean, just the thought, it's almost like a, a man cave, a beautiful museum-esque type card shop. They've got you know, game used shoes, like, you know, from Kobe Bryant, the very high in jerseys everywhere in there. It's almost as if you and your friends could go get together there and just hang out and have some food and have some drinks and then look at your cards and then put them up later and go back and do about your day, you know? And, yeah. um, and so it seems like on a level that I think in the next three to five years, you'll see that start happening. Yeah. And, and we do business with them at PWCC as well. Right. I'm, I, I, I'm close friends with the owners of this place. So uh, I can see it, whether it's bullpen or other places evolving to that platform. Right. And then it, it helps segue from there into, you know, you're formulating that relationship with the customers to the LCSs and from the LCSs. Uh, to help those customers then transition if they want to, you know, sell their cards on uh, private marketplaces or auction houses or whatever, what have you. It's just that that next stepping stone, but it also offers the opportunity to not just be something that somebody goes to hang out with for five minutes while they're looking for a pack of cards. They can maybe get breakfast, lunch, or dinner, sit down and make it a full like half hour to an hour experience, like like almost as if you go bowling or if you go to the billiards place. It's just on that type of aspect because. Me, I'm about to be 45, right? If there's somewhere that I'm going to go hang out, that would be something better than me going to Chili's or Applebee's or, you know, Texas Roadhouse or something, right? I would, I would just, let's just go there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's go have dinner and look at cards. I mean, that's any collector's dream. So you'll be <laughs> back from the Philippines. You'll be back from the grand opening of Hobby Stadium in the Philippines before the Mint Collective happens, which means that as you will be speaking on, on one of the panels or one of the workshops at the Mint, you may be able to come back and share what you saw with the with some mint audience and with some people who will be there thinking about how can they how can they evolve how can how can they innovate within their own businesses you may be a very popular uh, speaker because of that alone i i think that's important i, I know that i'd all want to hear from you then as well so that's pretty cool yeah i, I think there'll be a lot of People as people mature and, and go into their later years, once you get out of your 20s and get in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, you want to see the potential evolution of something that you really have your heart involved into. And I'll, sure. I'll bring pictures back. I'll probably have videos taken of it and just to help show people how other areas across the world, this isn't just something in, in North America, that a hobby that just only us embraces, how the rest of the world is wanting to evolve and to uh, share their love of this hobby in this space as well. So tell me now, uh, PWCC will be set up as a vendor and exhibitor at the Mint Collective. Uh, put on your PWCC hat for a moment, Eric. What is PWCC hoping to achieve, to accomplish with their presence at the Mint Collective this year? Uh, Jesse Craig, uh, he will be speaking there. Uh, man, he's, there are very few people that know more than him. He's very knowledgeable, very articulate, well-spoken. He's going to just roll out the, the foreseeable plan potentially for a PWCC move, uh, moving in the, in the future. 
and how that that space is how our space is going to grow. Uh, we're going to get there to we'll, we'll have several employees there again. I, I won't be there. I'll be there as, as a collector, as a hobbyist. So I'll be walking around. Right. So I won't have my PWCC shirt on at that time, but we'll be there uh, representing the space and the marketplace, you know, and just to try to formulate these relationships with customers where the people want to drop off their cards. And a lot of times the people that come up there, not only do they want to use our, you know, use the vault facility or the auction place by now best offer uh, premier weekly. They just have a lot of questions. A lot of people are just getting into this space and they have questions that, that they really want answered. Like how does these things work? Yeah. How can, because a lot of people still look at it from the eighties and nineties. They don't understand technologically how certain platforms or PWCC namely has evolved and is taken to this space. The whole vaulting concept started with us, right? I mean, the, the way we display cards, people who have these, you know, 5,000, 50,000, $500,000 cards might not know the potential opportunity to have their cards displayed the way we, the way that we offer that to them. Right on. So you'll, you'll be there accepting cards for sale on the platform from customers. You'll be there answering questions and of course, as you mentioned, Jesse will be there speaking on one uh, on I would believe the Friday, which is the educational day, and uh, sharing the the future plans for the company. That's great. I look forward to hearing from Jesse and learning more about uh, how PWCC intends to continue to innovate and kind of blaze a trail in the hobby. Eric, anything else you'd like to mention uh, or talk about before we wrap this up, as far as the the Mint Collective goes, and you being there or PWCC? Uh, if I had to just hammer on one thing, I think this year, from my understanding, they're gonna they're gonna separate uh, the things. So basically, Friday, as you had alluded to, it's, it's gonna be the day in which the speakers predominantly speak. Last year, they kind of was an enmeshment of the speakers spoke throughout the entire weekend, so it was potentially difficult for people to walk around the actual mint collective and simultaneously hear the speakers because they were separated. Right? If you come look around, you might miss a couple speakers. So this year, it's gonna be speakers on Friday. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's kind of where I'm going to spend my Fridays listening just to all these speakers and soaking as much as I can. And then, you know, on Saturday and Sunday, kind of soak up the rest of it. So if there's one thing that I'm grateful for and I'm really looking forward to is the division of the two, but still being able to enjoy both. All right. Well, hey, Eric, listen, it's been great to have you on the Mint Collective podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you at the Mint Collective, hearing about your experience in the Philippines. And with that, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Eric, you stay right there. Everyone else, thank you again for joining and we'll see you again next time on the Mint Collective Podcast. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.